Now, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and that you would breathe life into your word to us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as, as I said, it is, it's good to be back uh, with you all. And as I have written in an email and shared a little bit about um, with our staff, our council of clergy and everybody, uh, we had a wonderful time. We, we spent some good time at the beach. It was great to see the girls uh, getting used to catching waves as I groom them to be young surfers. Um, they spend a lot of time in swimming pools. We went to some of the amusement parks, had some good summer fun in California. Uh, but as you may remember, before we left, uh, I was a little bit anxious about the heat wave that was forecast. And so I asked all of you to pray for us, as well as everybody else in California. And I do want to thank you for your prayers as the heat. It was warm, but it was certainly manageable, and we had a great time. It didn't bother us too much. But it also does seem that some of you gifted prayers uh, may have prayed a little too hard. Uh, there ended up being not just cooler weather, but a hurricane the, for the first time in 80 years. Um, you know, Becky even asked me before we left, are there hurricanes in California? And I said, no. <laughs> but lo and behold. And so as for those of you that were aware of this, I thank you also for your prayers for our family's safety, as well as for the safety of everybody else in California. And now we are back safely. We are back at church. Becky's back at work. The kids are sort of back at school. We got a, another week of transition there. Uh, but we are looking forward to getting back to daily life. And I'm also really looking forward to getting back to hockey. Uh, my season begins next Tuesday. Now, many of you know that I love playing hockey. Um, but if I was to assess myself realistically, as Paul talks about in our reading today, I would have to admit that I'm not that good at it. Um, I'm not useless. You know, I, I feel like I contribute to the team at the level I play, which is really low. We don't even have refs. Um, <laughs> but I know I bring, you know, energy, tenacity. I know that I can be hard to play against. I can be a little chippy. I can chip in with some offense, score some goals here and there. However, I'm also well aware uh, that I'm often a total liability to the team. I, I often find myself getting checked even tripped by the blue line uh, <laughs> under the ice. And uh, for any hockey players out there, if you know, you know. This is a common, common problem for many of us. So I would never go so far as to describe myself as a gifted hockey player. And, and sadly, this means that the calling that I sensed uh, when I was 13 years old uh, to score the game-winning goal in overtime in Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final has never really materialized. Today, we're going to start looking at our spiritual giftings. Some of you may remember, way back to July, before my family and I journeyed down the I-5 to Southern California, that we were journeying together through the highlights of the Book of Romans as they're presented to us in the lectionary. And I know that uh, the wonderful guest speakers that we had in August, as well with, as all of those who had the courage uh, to share their testimonies last Sunday, thank you to all of you. Uh, they were not asked to follow this plan, so it's been a little while, but today I did want to take this morning to return to Romans to bring our discussion on the first part of the letter 
to a close. Our reading today from Romans 12 begins with, Therefore, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, and then continues. And the therefore points back to the entire letter, everything that Paul has shared up to this point in the last 11 chapters. He spent these 11 chapters going into incredible depth and detail to unpack the gift that God has given us, all that we receive because of the grace of God. Some of you may have noticed that the title given for today's sermon, as you can see in our bulletin, is what do we do with all this grace? And Paul presents us with the answer, with the response to this grace. The response to God's grace, which Paul then goes into incredible depth and detail to unpack for the remainder of the letter. And as I said, you may have noticed in the bulletin that the title for the sermon is, What Do We Do With All This Grace? And some of you gifted sleuths out there may have also noticed that the answer is in the bulletin as well, in the verse on the front page. Don't look now if you didn't. you got to follow along. These well-known verses from today's passage, Romans 12, 1 to 8, summarize our response to God's incredible grace. They encapsulate what it means to live in response to God's grace in the way that pleases God. And we see that this isn't now about receiving. It's not about receiving more. Paul's no longer talking about what we receive, but what we give to God as a result of what he has given and gives us. Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now we had a discussion over the last few months about how Paul uses the word flesh to refer to our old sinful selves. And in this context, Paul uses the word bodies to refer to ourselves, our whole persons, not just our physical bodies, but our heart, soul, mind, and strength, our whole selves. Paul shares that we're called to present our whole selves as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. As many of you are aware, the Old Testament worship focused on offering animal sacrifices in the temple. Thankfully, Paul isn't talking about putting anyone to death here, like the animal sacrifices in Old Testament worship. Paul is saying that now, as well as our acts of adoration and praise, our spiritual worship includes offering our whole selves, our whole life, back to God. That we are now to dedicate the lives that we live to God as a response to the life that he has given us. But what exactly does that mean? Does it just mean being aware of God all the time in everything we do, thinking about him, being thankful while we're grocery shopping, while we're brushing our teeth? Sure, that's part of it, but there is a lot more. Paul continues, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So this sacrifice begins by letting, allowing God, through the work of the Holy Spirit, to completely transform you into a new person, allowing the Holy Spirit to transform, to change not just what you do, but even the way you think, your approach to how you live your life, your motivation for the things you do, so that you no longer conform to the patterns of this world. Not conforming to the patterns of this world goes beyond just refusing to do the same things. It goes beyond refusing to conform to the world's values, beyond just behaviors and customs, what we do. We're called to allow our whole perspective on life itself to change, our purpose to change, and for that to be firmly planted at the forefront of our minds, not just in the back of our minds as something we either do or don't forget, we forget about or, or remember. It's the forefront of everything we do. And Baal continues to explain why, with a bit of tough love, a tough dose of reality, a truth bomb, if you will. And he softens the potentially incoming offense by first qualifying that it's only by the grace that's been granted to him by God because of the station to which he's been appointed that he's able to present this admonishment, this warning to all Christians. So I'm going to qualify too and say, I didn't write it. Paul did. He says, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, he's not picking on anyone in particular, this is a message for each one of us. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So after reminding Christians that they shouldn't continue to emulate the behaviors and customs, and especially the thinking of the world, which is often selfish, is often self-centered or self-seeking, Paul serves all the church with what is sadly a necessary reminder. Do not think of ourselves more highly than we ought. Because it is possible to change what we do. But unless we change the way we think, unless we change our approach to what we do, we can still find that the motivations behind these actions can still be self-serving. They can still be proud, covetous, selfish, stubborn, even arrogant. And this lesson from Paul is a direct reflection of Jesus' teaching. If we remember back to our series on the Beatitudes and Jesus' teaching on the law, and remember that so much of what Jesus had to say was about our motivation about why we do what we do. So a part of the sacrifice that Paul's talking about is giving up motivation that is self-serving and replacing it with motivation that truly serves God as well as our neighbors, as well as others. And this requires setting aside our egos and replacing them with true humility. Now, as an aside, 
This isn't what Paul talks about, but I think it is worth noting that this doesn't mean that we are to no longer assign any value to ourselves, to our lives at all. On the contrary, we remember that this is a response to what he's already written, to the revelation that we're children of God, heirs to his kingdom. Some of us, unfortunately, do think far too little of ourselves and of our self-worth. But a healthy self-esteem is really important, especially when we remember that God values each one of us. He loves each one of us. And this means we should also value ourselves. However, what Paul is saying here is just do it for the right reasons. And in this passage, Paul is addressing those in the church who can fall into the trap of overvaluing themselves. And this can come in the form of unearned self-confidence, something I've shared I've been guilty of in the past, of overestimating ourselves and our abilities, of thinking we can do things that we actually can't. Uh, One example of this could be if someone were to feel an inclination towards counseling one day. So they just decide to start giving people their counsel without any proper training, any discipleship in the field, any experience. Now, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, this could work, but it could also potentially be quite harmful, right? Thinking too highly of ourselves can also, can also come in the form of placing too much value on what we as individuals bring to the table, on what we can do perhaps well. But when we overvalue our contributions, we can fall into the trap of thinking that the church and in turn God is so lucky to have us. Now, sadly, it's not entirely uncommon that presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice is sometimes accompanied by some sort of entitlement to some sort of return on investment. There's an alarmingly common sentiment in the church today that if we serve, we then deserve something in return. Whether it be increased status or power in the church or having things done the way we want them done. And sadly, this often leads to those servants threatening to leave if the things don't get done the way they want them done. That's one example. On the flip side, and more commonly, thankfully, with better tensions involved in our overvaluing ourselves, is that it can lead to some good faithful servants feeling overburdened with a responsibility. They feel that they have a responsibility to keep the church going, to keep it alive. What a burden to carry. And that's why my former mentor and colleague, Josh Wilton from the table, we just had Andy here, Andy's partner in crime, is well known for shocking all of their leaders with this revelation that I've shared with some of our leaders. We want you. We value you. We appreciate you. But we don't need you. God doesn't need you to do it all for him. Oh, he wants you. He values you. He appreciates you. But he doesn't need you to keep the world turning. How's that for a first sermon back? (laughs) I can assure you, I didn't spend the last three weeks thinking to myself, what should I preach about when I get back? I know 
I'll admonish our good and faithful leaders not to think too highly of themselves. That'll be a good way to kick off the year. That's one of the joys of preaching through Scripture. You, you don't get to pick and choose the easy bits. Um, again, Paul wrote it, not me. We spent the summer celebrating, though, the, the grace of God as shared in the book of Romans. And now we're asking ourselves, what do we do with all this grace? And in today's passage from Romans, Paul presents the response, and it is a necessary message for the whole church, churches everywhere. So again, please don't take offense. It's not meant as an insult. It's meant to take the pressure off. We want you. We don't need you. That helps us to focus our motivation on serving God joyfully, not with anxiety. Knowing that God doesn't need us means that we can give as we are able and serve God joyfully. And again, Paul isn't picking on anyone particular here. He's making sure to highlight that this message is for all of us. So if any of these words do ring true, I hope you know that you don't need to feel too bad because the probable truth is they ring true for many of us, myself included. Paul calls upon each one of us not to think too highly of what we bring to the table, of our offering, of our sacrifice, but rather to assess ourselves realistically as I was forced to do in my hockey career. And the key to an honest and accurate self-evaluation is remembering what Paul has already taught in his letter. That the true basis of our self-worth isn't measured by worldly standards. It's not measured by what we accomplish, not even by what we bring to the table, not what we do. It's knowing that what we do doesn't determine who we are. If we remember what Paul has written in this letter so far, we remember that our worth, our identity, is in Christ. Who we are isn't preachers, musicians, hospitality servers, greeters, administrators. Who we are is disciples. Followers of Jesus, servants of Jesus. And we remember that this also means that who we are is sons and daughters, heirs of our Father in heaven. That is our value. That is our worth. Paul then continues, For just as each one of, each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Paul shares this familiar metaphor that he uses elsewhere and often to describe the unified diversity of the church, comparing the human body, comparing the church to the human body with many different body parts, limbs, organs, etc., each with different jobs, functions, purposes. But though we all have different gifts, according to the grace given to each of us, we are united in Christ. So that just as the parts of the body function under the direction of the brain, Christians are also to function together under the direction of Jesus. And God gives us these different gifts so that each one of us can 
contribute, can do our part to building up his church. And Paul encourages us all to discern what our gifts actually are and put that gifting to use in the church. And one of the commentaries I read this week suggested that in order to use these gifts effectively, we must first realize that all gifts and abilities come from God, that they aren't something we give to God, they're something God has given to us. Two, understand that not everyone has the same gifts. That's good. That means we can all do different things to help each other out. Three, know who we are, children of God, and what we actually do best, not hockey. Four, dedicate our gifts to God's service rather than just our own personal gain and success and achievement. It's fine to use our gifts in our daily lives, but as long as we are also dedicating that to God's service. And five, be willing to utilize our gifts wholeheartedly without holding anything back from God's service. That means being willing to put the energy in, even if we're tired. It also means if we're putting too much energy in, you know, not to get begrudging, but to continue to serve God joyfully. Scripture also tells us that God's gifts differ in nature, power, and even in effectiveness. Paul tells us that God determines the effectiveness of our labor according to his wisdom and graciousness. That's a tough message for pastors to hear sometimes. We often feel if we can just work harder, we can be more effective. Paul's saying that's not always the case. Sure, we need to be diligent, but God will determine the effectiveness. And this is important for us all to remember as we reflect on our own gifts, but also as we reflect on the gifts of others and on our expectations of those who are serving in our church, remembering that we do all have different gifts, that none of us can do all the work of the church all alone. It may be possible, but it certainly isn't better, is it? It's much better when we're all working, doing our different parts, serving together in different ways. Reflecting on this can also help us to remember to be thankful for those whose gifts are completely different to ours. There are many of you who I don't come alongside and help very often. Thank you so much <laughs> for all that you do, that those aren't my areas of gifting. And I know hopefully you all feel the same way about each one of us. You know, the, the tech crew over there, that's not all of our area. We're so thankful to you. Everyone has their part to play. And the different members of the same body, we should try to use our strengths to balance any weaknesses that others may have. Rather than seeing someone's weakness and judging them and begrudging it, we can be grateful that their strengths are there to make up for our own weaknesses. Again, none of us can do all the work of the church alone. We all have our gifts, they're all good, but as we see, a bag of flour isn't as useful as all the ingredients put together. Together, we can and do build Christ's church. And it is to this that we are all called as we present ourselves, 
our souls, our bodies, to be a living sacrifice, to do the work to which God has called each one of us and called us all together. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for all the incredible gifts that you have given us. We thank you for the gift of your grace, for the gift of life. And we thank you for the gift of your word to us in which we see that we are called to respond by presenting our whole selves as a living sacrifice. We thank you for the gifts that you've given each one of us to enable us, to equip us to do this. And so, Holy Spirit, I do pray that you would come this morning and that you would continue to do your work in each one of us, to transform our whole selves, our hearts, and our minds, that you would be the for- at the forefront of everything that we do. I do pray your blessing on each one here for the gifts you have given them, that you would help each person to discern or affirm what their calling is and how they are being called to serve you and to serve your body. Lord, I do pray for this body, for Open Gate Church, as we head into a new year of sorts. We pray your blessing on all the work that you have prepared for us to do. We pray that you would help us to continue to serve each other as well as serve our community, to reach out and share your love, your good news, your grace with those who have not yet received it. We pray that you would draw people in to you through us in a miraculous way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.